Welcome back. We back, baby. Episode 18. Yeah, 18. That sounds right. Sure, we're gonna go with it. Episode 18. I feel like I start every episode like that, where I just like fumble around and have no clue what episode it is. I write down everything I want to talk about, and I have a game plan of what I want to talk about. I have the stats all written down that I want to point out, all that kind of jazz. I have a game plan. The one thing I never remember to write down is, is in all caps at the top, what episode we're on. So I always start it and press record and then go, uh, 18, I think. So if it's not 18, um, again, as I always say, I'm just going to look like an idiot, but I have a pretty good track record of on the fly thinking. So I think we're feeling pretty confident. This is the Bentley Show. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Thank you so much for listening. Quite an eventful last couple of days. The Tigers finally played a game on TV, which is a Christmas miracle of sorts, uh, knowing this team. Um, so, that's awesome. We have, we have stuff to talk about. Honestly, I don't even want to talk about the other games that happened that weren't televised. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like actually having, like, oh, you know, I see what is happening. I, I can have a visual. I, I can see how pitches look. I can see how batters' approaches look. Like, I, I don't want to talk about, like, what I hear over the radio, really, anymore. So, we're going to we'll probably only talk about the Phillies game. Uh, then the Pistons. Still have not played a game, still are on the layover from All-Star Weekend, so still haven't played a game since the last time we spoke, but we have some Wayne Ellington rumors, just some Troy Weaver comments in general, and then Ben Wallace is a Hall of Fame finalist. Uh, then the Red Wings played the Tampa Bay Lightning last night, as always, if you want a more in-depth, full breakdown, go to Locked On Red Wings. Uh, but we have that game to recap. We have Zadina and Larkin were some standouts that game. And really the whole team as a whole we're going to talk about because that game was was actually really well played. Um, then we are going to talk about probably the talk of the town the last couple of days. Um, the Detroit Lions did not, did not, did not franchise tag Kenny G. So we're going to talk about that. There's another roster move or another player that they did not franchise tag as well. So we're going to talk all about that. Once again, this is the Bentley Show. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Let's get right into it. The Detroit Baseball Tigers played a game against the Philadelphia Phillies today, which is Wednesday. Uh, again, I don't even want to talk about the Yankees game because if I have the choice of talking about a game that no one could watch and a game that is televised, I'm going to talk about the televised game because we can actually see mechanics. And like I said in the opening, um, I'm not going to try and guess how good people looked based on their stats. I'm going to talk about how I know people looked. So we're going to talk about the Phillies game. They dropped it 6-4 to four in a full nine-inning game. Um, who do we want to start with here? Let's just start at the top, man. Victor Reyes, uh, goes two for two with a walk. Um, this is his first game of the spring, for those who don't know. Uh, Victor Reyes was late to camp. He had some visa problems, work visa problems, and then he had to quarantine for two weeks because he was late. So, uh, he... This is his first game, and he picked up pretty much where he left off. I, I mean, just Babbitt Merchant 
just his first at bat of the spring was like uh infield single that just barely got <laughs> it was like those weird infield singles that are right in between shortstop and second and it's just to a point where shortstop has to go deep enough to field it that there's no throw like it was not a well hit ball at all but just happened to be at the one place in the infield where he he could have gotten an infield hit out of it so so that was that the drawing the walk is nice to see um, again, it's it's spring training. The the competition he's going against is not fantastic, but this is a guy that is allergic to drawing walks. Like quite literally allergic. Has to take medication for it. Like really bad. So um, I am just happy, even if it's a in spring in his first game, he's drawing a walk. That's very encouraging to me. We're going to talk about him. Again, when we talk about Akil Badu and some comments that were made by uh, Lynn Henning later in the segment. Um, Franklin Perez also pitched. Franklin Perez, obviously the the key poster, big-name prospect that came over in the Justin Verlander deal, but he has been allergic to staying healthy. A lot of allergies on the team this year, apparently. Um, but his, yeah, his, uh, his, his health has been a massive point of concern and has been super disappointing he's pitched like 40 professional innings and we traded in our organization at across all levels combined he's pitched like 40 innings and we got him in 2017 we got him almost four years ago so that's obviously not good um today his command was all over the place the, especially the first batter of the game he was throwing spiking balls 10 feet in front of the plate he threw one that went 10 feet over the catcher's head and, and hit the backstop. He was all over the place command-wise. It might have just been like getting riled up, getting an appearance. I don't know, but he was all over the place. All over the place to start off the outing. Uh, then he, he, he walked a guy, admittedly. Um, he kind of settled in relatively nicely. Uh, the, the changeup looked phenomenal. I'll be completely honest with you that his changeup looked incredible movement wise. It looked good. And honestly, it was one of the better located pitches. None of his pitches were located great, but you know, he was throwing fastballs 15 feet away from the strike zone. So relatively speaking, I guess the changeup was located a little better, but, um, it, it, the changeup really did look actually really well. Um, got ahead in some counts with it, uh, which, well, got ahead in one count with it. He pitched one inning, uh, faced four batters. So uh, the changeup looked good. The breaking ball looked pretty solid movement-wise. The problem is he topped out at like 88 miles an hour. That's tough, man. That's tough. He was topping out at 88 and sitting around 87, 88 with the fastball. Like, that is that is tough. Now, first, you know what I mean? It's it's early in the spring. I think he's had one other appearance, and it wasn't a televised game. So this is only, I believe, his second appearance of the spring. Um, it, it, it's just, it's so hard with him specifically. Like, if this was anybody else, you'd be like, okay, Early in spring, hopefully by the end of spring, he can get back to that 93-94 range and we'll be fine. But with him, it, it's just so scary because of his injury proneness. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's terrifying. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're going up there. And I, again, I, I want to reiterate, more times than not, people just start off slow in the spring and then slowly work themselves back up. It's just 
With him, it, it, it's just a little different, man, because of the injury history. It's just a little different. It's a little, little more concerning. Something to keep an eye on. But he still had a, a, a clean, scoreless inning and didn't allow any hits. So, you know, didn't have any strikeouts and walked a guy. But it was a contact-filled inning. I'll put it that way. There was a lot of contact made. He was not missing a ton of bats. But with the velocity at what it was, I mean, that you're going to expect that. Uh, the contact that was made was relatively weak. Ended the inning on a pop-out. So, We'll take it. We'll take that as one of the early appearances of him for spring. Absolutely. Why not? Um, do you want to stick with pitching or go to hitting? Let's go to Isak Paredes. Goes one for three with a two-run home run. Uh, his All of his at-bats looked really well. On It looked really good, rather, honestly. Um, he had uh, his second at-bat was a strikeout but he worked the count again and in his first at bat was beautiful it was absolutely beautiful he one and two count works the count full and then hits a home run just quite literally the perfect at bat the thing with him has never been his his everybody knows his his sense of the strike zone is phenomenal it really is incredible his his knowledge of the strike zone, his feel of what is a ball and what is a strike is is really good. Um, the problem is patience. I don't know if it's an over-aggressive thing or or what it is, but he 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 kind of has a little Javi Baez in him to where it, it's just the bat-to-ball skills are very good. Uh, however, walk numbers are not. He does not work a lot of counts. He kind of just goes for it. You know what I mean? So... That's definitely something to keep an eye on. But he worked the count in his first A-B today and got the home run. That's obviously a, a perfect at-bat for him. Working the count, showing patience, but at the same time, uh, still showing that he can rake. You know what I mean? So that's obviously a really, really good situation for him to be in. Matt Manning pitched. This is obviously one of the biggest storylines that there is. Uh, however, okay, I don't even know how to word this. Like, I, I really don't want to make people upset. Matt Manning looked great. He looked great. He looked really, really good. The problem is he he has two pitches right now. So, okay, I, I just need to spit this out. I need to stop thinking about how I want to say it and stop just, like, wasting time. Um, he needs he needs to get another pitch that's, like, a plus pitch, man. We he, You're not going to be a major league starter with two pitches. I don't care how good they are. The, his, his fastball looked incredible. He was pumping 96, 97, right? Um, and... It was effortless. His, his mechanics are beautiful. Beautiful. I, he might have the best mechanics of the three. Scoopla has pretty good mechanics too. Mize has a lot of mechanical issues. Matt Manning's, they're, they're unreal. His, his mechanics, his form is phenomenal. It's an effortless 97, which is great, especially for a dude that his, with his size, um, you know, pitchers and injuries tend to go hand in hand these days. He gives me hope that he can get through his entire knock on wood, his entire um, 
kind of young career building up without too many injury problems. Uh, his mechanics are that encouraging. That being said, the the original point of this, his he he needs a third pitch, man. So what he did today was he threw the fastball and the curveball, which we knew. The, the curveball has been advertised, probably the second most advertised pitch in our entire organization outside of the Mize Splitter. Um, only behind the Mize Splitter, rather. So that looked great. His curveball looked great. The fastball we already talked about looked great. He threw this third pitch that now reportedly, when he was younger, he had a curveball and a slider. But then he threw the curveball so much that they kind of morphed into one. They kind of were like, like when he would throw his quote-unquote slider, it would really look the exact same as the curveball or just like a little different. Or it was still a curveball, maybe not his, his curveball, but it was still just a different variation of a curveball. So he kind of got away from it. Then he got drafted and he's worked his way up. And now they're tr- they, they, they need to get him a third pitch. He messed around with a changeup. When he was in the minors in 2019, right, and and that's been there's some video out there of it, and it, it looked good, but clearly it's not good enough to where like you don't just have a, a 30 pitch outing in spring training and not throw it just for fun. So like clearly he's not uber confident with it yet, or it's still like being crafted or whatever, because it you know you. You don't just not throw one of your pitches just because you don't feel like it. Especially in spring. Spring is the time for experiments. Spring is the time where you throw. That's what we saw with uh, with Spencer Howard for the Phillies today. He was throwing all kinds of sh- stuff. I saved myself there from from uh, from cursing. <laughs> he uh, he was throwing all kinds of stuff, man. He was throwing pitches he's never thrown before. Two pitches he's never thrown before. He was just going out there. And that's what spring training's for. And Manning didn't even do that. He did throw his his quote-unquote slider. The problem is it doesn't move horizontally. Like, really at all. Uh, it, it's really kind of like a... It's not even a slurve. It doesn't even move that much horizontally. It's The problem still remains that it is just a, a, a slider grip curveball. And he already has a great curveball. He doesn't need two different kinds of curveballs. So he needs a third pitch. He will not make this opening day roster. We will see him later in the year. I, I can almost promise everybody that, barring injury. Um, but I, I really don't think there's any way that he we see him even in the first half of the season, to be honest with you, if he just doesn't have a third pitch. I I, I don't see how that's going to work out well for anybody. You, you can be a, a very good major league reliever with that repertoire. It's Honestly, uh, um, to be completely frank, it's it's impossible to be a young up and coming pitcher and break through the majors with two pitches. I don't care how good they are, man. It's 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 almost impossible. So um, he, that's definitely something he needs to work on, and was definitely something that everybody uh, pretty much noticed when he went out there. So great outing, very promising. I think he has a super bright future, might have the highest ceiling of all three of these guys. I'm not trying to take anything away from him or say that he's not going to be good because I think he's going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to be a, a top-of-the-rotation pitcher for many, many years. But it's not going that, to that, – that era of his life is not going to start until he develops a solid third pitch. That's all. Uh, okay, two more stories. Matt Boyd pitched today. Uh, it was a very Matt Boyd start. 
Three innings, three hits, one run, one walk, but three strikeouts on 50 pitches. That's the longest any pitcher has gone this spring was three innings. So that was awesome. Um, first off, 50 pitches in three innings is a little high, but not bad. We've seen a lot of like 45, 50 pitches in two innings so far this spring from a lot of our guys. So I, I really don't mind... Um, I don't mind that. That that's fine. It's it's spring. It's not a terrible pitch count. That's fine. Um, the walk. I mean, it it was a walk. <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, he uh, the command was not bad today. Um, he did hang a couple of sliders, and the pitch he threw. He the the one run was a home run to Jeff Mathis. Now, if you know anything about baseball. You know that Jeff Mathis is one of the worst hitters in the history of Major League Baseball. Truly. Now you're asking yourself, why does he have a job? Well, he's one of the best defenders in the history of the sport, and he is a catcher, which is arguably the most important position to be a good defender in. So he is one of the best defensive players at arguably the most important position in baseball. So he's had a 10-plus year career. Um, just based on his, how incredible of a defender he is, but he, he is truly one of the worst hitters in the history of baseball and Matt Boyd threw him. It it was a nothing pitch. I'm not even kidding. This was not a, this was not a, Oh, that was a hanging slider or, Oh, he hung the change up or, or, Oh, the, the fastball he put right down the middle. It was nothing. It was like the velocity of a slider, and it did not move. It was a meatball right down the middle that even Jeff Mathis could deposit, you know, 380 feet to left field. So, that is obviously a very on-brand for Matt Boyd. Solid outings, and then just lets one get away from him and gives up a nuke. That was pretty much the story of, of last year for him in the second half of a 60-game season, so take that for what you will. But um, The slider did look really good today. The changeup looked okay. Uh, the changeup is a really important pitch for him. Last year, that was a pitch where when he was mixing in the changeup, he was pitching really well. When he got settled into that, I'm only going to throw fastballs and sliders, he struggled. So I think it's important that he throws the changeup. That being said... Uh, he, you have to throw it well. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you can't you can't just throw it for fun. So I do think that this was a solid, a solid outing. This was a solid outing, even though it's going to be highlighted, obviously, by, by a Mathis bomb. He did strike out Bryce Harper twice as well. So um, I, I really... Bryce Harper got owned today, by the way. We, uh, Boyd struck him out twice and... and uh, Manning struck him out as well on a 97-mile-an-hour high fastball. Um, so, yeah, Matt Boyd still obviously got some work to do. You never want to be giving up homers to Jeff Mathis. But, solid outing, and I'll gladly take it. I will gladly, gladly, gladly take this Matt Boyd outing. All right, the only other thing I want to talk about with the Tigers before we move on to the Detroit Pistons is uh, 
the corner outfield situation, or the fourth outfield situation, I guess, I, I guess if I could speak, I should say. Um, so, basically, here's what's happening. Akil Badu is playing out of his mind. Is basically what's happening. Um, he's playing incredibly well, and the big argument is, what do we do about it? Uh, so obviously, Akil Badu is a Rule Five pick. We talked about this before in previous episodes. You can go back and rewatch those. Um, but basically, Rule Five picks have to stay on the major league roster the entire year, which is awesome. Uh, in, in this case, with how well Badu's doing, except no team, in theory, carrying five outfielders is in general not... It's not like a cardinal sin, but like it, it's generally not how rosters are constructed. Even with this extra roster spot that we're getting in the 26-man rotation, in general, five-man outfields are not something you see too terribly often. So people are trying are starting to say, like, is, is there a competition here? Uh, because if if Badu was to not make the team, he would go back to his original team, which was the Minnesota Twins. But there is a caveat in which you are able to go, hey, uh, screw the Rule 5 thing. He's not going to make our Major League roster, but we will make a trade with you. And then he's just part of, and then it's just a normal trade. He's just part of our system, and we can put him at any level of the minors we want. I think that's probably the most likely scenario, at least in my eyes it was. Then Lynn Henning, out of nowhere, just dropped a nuke on Twitter and said, yo, by the way, if the <laughs> if the fourth outfield spot comes down to Victor Reyes versus Akil Badu, Akil Badu's winning the job. Wow. You, he literally just woke up and chose violence, especially knowing how many... Victor Reyes stands there are on Twitter, and it drives me up a freaking wall because he's not good, okay? So, I was ecstatic about this news, um, and, and before you take this out of context and think that, like, again, I've said it a million times, Victor Reyes is a solid fourth outfielder. He is just not a starter, starting outfielder for no matter how te bad your team is. Victor Reyes is not a starting caliber outfielder. He's a solid fourth outfielder, but he's getting old. Okay, what's the point? Akil Badu's younger, and if he's playing just as well, I'm gonna just gonna take the younger version for a fourth outfield spot. I'm not gonna be like, oh no, it has to be Victor Reyes. Victor Reyes is what four years older, five years older than Akil Badu. Like, I. I'm going to take the younger model, giving our current situation, our current rebuilding situation. Up. And, and especially if Victor Reyes has options yet, left, um, has minor league options, just send him down to AAA. Someone will inevitably get hurt because we haven't had a fully healthy outfield since 1997. And then we can just call him up and he'll get playing time anyway. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that big of a deal, I guess, is my point. But because the name Victor Reyes is mentioned in a negative connotation on the internet, everybody freaks out and loses their mind because for some reason people kiss his feet and worship the ground he walks on. So, I personally don't think the Tigers are going to have Badu make the team over, over Victor Reyes. And then he dropped some other nonsense and said, 
you know, why not over Jacoby Jones, which is just never happening. So, I think the most likely scenario is that we call the Twins and say, yo, we really like this guy, but he's not making the team out of camp. We'll give you some D-level prospect nobody's ever heard of. Or, honestly, we'll just give you like 800K and we'll just call it a day. And the Twins will be like, okay, yeah, sure. This dude was in our single-A system. We'll take a, almost a million dollars for him. Or we'll take some random flyer on, on some random relief pitcher in, in West Michigan. You know what I mean? I think that's probably the most likely scenario. I, I think people just love to freak out over anything. But it was super interesting being the, the pulse that Lynn Henning has on the, organ, on the front office's thoughts. That comment was super interesting. So that's something to keep an eye on at a very minimum. Okay, let's move on to the Detroit Basketball Tigers. Uh, Troy Weaver, man. <laughs> Troy Weaver. Oh, I love him so much. He keeps that clip empty, baby. Um, okay, so basically Weaver was asked about why he refuses to call it a rebuild. And his response was... Um, I think he called out people like organizations by name. I should probably have the exact quote in front of me, but it was like, he was talking, man. He was speaking. He was like, you know what? This organization has three championships. We are restoring because we are currently taking what we have and restoring ourselves, bringing ourselves back to greatness. Only teams that have never won a ring or only teams that have never had success rebuild completely. He talked about his father owning an old car back in the day and how he would restore it back to being good. You only rebuild things that have never been great before, and this organization has been great before, so we're only retooling, and, and uh, that's, oh my gosh, inject that strain to my veins. Say what you will, he, he's made some interesting trades. I still don't really agree with the Bruce Brown trade, um, and, and not that we would have gotten a... a you know, a million kajillion assets for Bruce Brown. He's not some MVP candidate, but I think we still could have gotten more than what we actually got. Um, and honestly, the Canard deal, we got Sadiq Bay out of it, which is awesome. I'm a big value person, though. So even though we traded Luke and the pick we got ended up being Sadiq Bay, from a pure value standpoint, I, I think we probably could have gotten a little bit more for Luke Kennard, whether it had been that pick and then maybe a second in the future or something like that. Um, I don't know. I just think that, that value-wise, we probably could have gotten a lot more. That being said, um, I'm not I'm not trying to trash the man. I'm my Actually, my long point is that I love it, pretty much everything he's done. There Obviously, those two things I think we could have gotten a little bit more. But nothing he's done has been egregious. And I think that he has set this team up so incredibly well for the future. I am all in on Troy Weaver. I have full faith in him at this point. Um, I think the trade deadline will be super exciting. And that's a good transition into Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington has been the talk of the last couple of days. Um, because somebody, some publication, I forget uh, which one, uh, which I probably should know. but So my apologies. But they wrote an article about um, Wayne Ellington's future and his, you know, what we're going to see out of him at the deadline and what kind of return we could be looking at, etc. 
However, it's been interesting. So here's my thing. Obviously, I said however and then said it's interesting. So I apologize for that awful podcasting moment and host moment because that is like the worst possible thing I could have said. Um, (laughs) So, the thing about him, interesting is a nothing word, by the way. Most irrelevant, useless word in the English dictionary. The thing about Wayne Ellington is that he's been super streaky. Now, every competing team will add shooters at the deadline. That's, you know, death taxes and, and contending teams adding shooters, right? So we don't have to worry about the market for him. However, we do have to worry... Uh, the market for his type of player, I should say. We do not have to worry about it all. However, we do kind of have to worry about where he falls within that market. Because he is far from the best available. He's maybe the most expendable, which might actually hurt us because people know that there's no point in us holding on to him. Right? So his market value might actually even go down because of that. Because people are like, okay, well, if you have to get rid of him, we're not going to overpay for him. Right? So, I think, look, I if we get a second round pick for him even, I'll be happy. So, like, it, it doesn't really matter that much to me personally. I'm just relaying this information and saying don't expect, like, a Derrick Rose type return for him or anything. Not not that anybody was, but he's uh, he's not going to get you some, some crazy return. And honestly, at this point, I'm worried about even the extent of like the second round pick or something that we could get for him. Um, it might be a really late second round pick, and it honestly might not even be this year. We might be looking at like a, a next year second rounder from like a championship competing team at this point. Which, again, uh, anything is something. There is literally zero purpose in holding on to him. There is no point. It's it zero, Z- literally zero point in holding on to him. So, I'll take it, and I'll be happy with it. I'm just saying we all should be happy with it, you know? Um, Blake plays his Nets debut tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Um, he, he makes his debut Thursday, so that'll be interesting. Again, uh, all my thoughts on, on the Blake situation were really in the last episode. Um, but just uh, wishing him nothing but the best. The last thing with the Pistons is Ben Wallace is a Hall of Fame finalist again. So here's the thing, man. I'm going to lose my freaking mind if he doesn't make the Hall of Fame. That's basically where we're at. I'm a man. I'll admit it. I'm going to freak out. I'm probably going to get very, very upset. I don't get mad very often, but... uh. <laughs> Which is funny because anybody who follows me on Twitter really only sees me scream in my car at my phone. So, uh, <laughs> so trust me, in real life, I, I don't get mad very often. However, um, it's really, really difficult to not get furious when, this, in my opinion, this is one of the most egregious Hall of Fame snubs in the history of sports. I'm not even kidding. In, in all four sports combined, I think it might be one of, if not the biggest snub in all of sports. It's, it's ignorant. It's so ridiculous that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Like, yes, we, we have Lou Whitaker and, and not anymore, but Tram was a big one for people for a long time. He finally got in. Now we have Lou Whitaker. 
Lou Whitaker should absolutely be a Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Um, but there, Lou was very solid and had a very long career. Should be a Hall of Famer. Statistically, he should be in. He was he was very solid, fringe all-star his entire career. Okay? Which there's something to be said for that. Again, I think he should be a Hall of Famer. Ben Wallace is one of the most dominant forces in the history of this sport. And did it without putting the ball in the hoop. He is one of the most dominant players to ever play this game. And didn't need to score to become that. He is the greatest defender of all time. And no, it is not close. It's ridiculous that he's not a Hall of Famer. It's ridiculous. And I am praying that they cover up their their last five years of mistakes by now putting him in the Hall of Fame. And finally figure it out and put him in this year. Because it is honestly embarrassing. Especially considering how weak... The NBA's Hall of Fame credentials are. Have you looked at the Basketball Hall of Fame? I've been there. I've been to it. I walked around with it with my dad and I a few years back. It's a great place. I love it. I love the game of basketball. I had a great time looking throughout it. Absolutely. However, the criteria to get in is probably the lowest across all four sports. And you're not putting in the greatest defender in the history of your sport. Make it make sense. You can't. And I'm not saying that it's 100% the team he played for because it's absolutely not. But you will never convince me that if Ben Wallace was like a New York Nick, that he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. His same exact whatever, credentials. Like, just on on a pure paper standpoint, how do you look at four-time Defensive Player of the Year and you go, nah. That's the most ever. It's tied for the most ever, but it's the most ever. I don't understand. I don't understand. It's absolutely ridiculous. Listen to this. Four-time All-Star, two-time rebound champ, two-time block champ, NBA champion, five-time All-NBA, six-time All-Defensive team, four-time Defensive Player of the Year. Are you serious, bro? The sixth man for the Celtics teams in the 60s is in the Hall of Fame. Let that sink in. Open the door and let that sink in. Let that granite top sink in. It's ridiculous, man. I could do a whole hour about how embarrassing it is. All right. So, Ben Wallace, Hall of Fame, something to keep an eye on. He is a finalist. Hopefully, they right their wrongs and put that man where he rightfully deserves, which is in the Hall of Fame. All right, let's get to the Detroit Hockey Red Wings. Um, We played the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, So I'll start by how I start all these. If you want a full breakdown, I'm a co-host at Lockdown Red Wings with Ethan and Nolan. 
great podcast, great guys. We have a really good time, and we know what we're talking about for the most part. <laughs> so if you want a full uh, breakdown like that, go to Lockdown Red Wings. Um, have some really cool interviews coming up this week as well. So just in general, you should subscribe and listen to it. But on topic for here today, um, we all thought that they were going to get trounced, as I'm sure everybody did. Because, uh, why would you not? <laughs> the Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team in the NHL. Uh, they're in first place in pretty much every stat you can imagine. Um, every team stat you can imagine, that is. Uh, it's, it's, they're really good. They're playing at a different level. Okay? So, that is... I thought they were going to get pumped. I really did. I thought they were going to get absolutely obliterated. However, we played a great game. We played a great game. We 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 looked them in the eye, toe to toe, and and we truly made them earn the win. And and I think when you compare Red Wings games and Pistons games um a lot like this was a very Pistons loss for the Red Wings this was us playing really competitive hockey having a lead late against a really good team and then blowing it and keeping the tank on board we took them to overtime we stole a point uh but we still got the loss so I think that this is like what what makes the Pistons tank so fun, and we we talk about this in a in an interview with, on Lockdown Red Wings uh, with Matt Shook, who's the host of Lockdown Pistons. We we had a crossover thing and kind of just talked talked about the state of both rebuilds, and and one of the great points that was brought up is like the the reason that the Pistons rebuild is so enjoyable right now is a because they've refused to do it for so long, and they're finally doing it. So just the fact that we're rebuilding is fun. But it's fun because they play really competitive games against really good teams and still lose most of them. And any that even the ones they beat, it's not ruining the tank because they they're so few and far between their wins. But they play good teams well, which is so encouraging with that young of a team. I think if we saw this kind of Red Wings hockey all year, that the overall um, mood of the fan base would be a lot better if we were losing games like this all year if we had we were playing competitive ass hockey that we had leads late in the games and we're just blowing them at the end i think a lot more people would would be a lot more content with the state not the state because no matter how we lose we're still losing we're still not a good team but with the the viewership the viewing pleasure of this team would be a lot higher if, if obviously we were playing a lot more competitive games. So I think that that's a big difference in between those two rebuilds. And I also think that uh, it was like best case scenario. Losing that game to the Lightning was was honestly probably best case scenario. That, that went incredibly well and I loved every bit of it. Competitive ass game, good game. Uh, Zadina looked incredible. We're going to start with him. Looked absolutely phenomenal. He looked really fast. It was noticeable how fast he looks. I don't know if that's something that I've just never really picked up on before um, or, or what. Not that I ever thought he was slow or anything by any means, but he looked so fast, bro. 
He looked so, so, so fast. So that is obviously great. And he looked phenomenal. He had a really good move. Uh, missed over the shoulder of the goalie, I believe, but had a really good move um, in the second period, I want to say. Um, got an assist. He was great. Looked phenomenal. We are seeing right before our eyes Philip Zenon grow into a really good NHL player, which is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Then the story of the game is Dylan Larkin's return to the ice. Larkin had been hurt the last couple of games, and we've also had a five-day break on top of that. So he hasn't played in a minute. Um, went out there. He That might be the best hockey game he's played this year. Like on Lockdown Wings, we were talking about it, and Nolan said it best. Like he, that was one of the first games that you felt like, "Hey, man, I, take the numbers and the names off of the jersey. I know which one of these dudes is the captain." Okay, he felt like the captain of the team, and I know that that's like the the. The analytical people are like, oh, that's really stupid to say and whatever. And that that's fine. What I, I'm an analytical person too. But you're never like he it just he he played he played with intensity, man. He he played unbelievably well for starters, and he played with a lot of intensity. He looked incredible and and oh my gosh, inject his goal straight into my bloodstream. If I'm dying and the doctor goes, man, what kind of like, what can we hook him up to? What kind of IV can we hook him up to, to to like bring him back? Just take a tube, plug it into a TV or a laptop and replay that goal. I'll be up and at him in seconds. I'm not even kidding you. Inject that into my bloodstream. I have that is easily the most pumped I've been of any goal all season for starters. Maybe mm, now nah, the the Mantha Hattie at the end of the uh, uh, last season is up there. Maybe like it's one of the some of the most excited I've gotten for Red Wings hockey in in the last like two or three years. To be honest with you, it was unbelievably electric. He gets hit. He gets popped. Blood pouring out of his face. No penalty called. A clear penalty not called. Then he gets hit where his injury was. Gets mad about that. Almost drops gloves. Gets in a little scuffle. Okay. Probably never actually close to dropping gloves. But gets in a little scuffle. Okay. Then with blood still pouring out of his nose. On his mouth. And his mouth guard. Like just pouring down his face. Gets the puck. Snipe Sally. And and goes over and when he's given fist bumps to the bench, he turns around and looks into the camera. And their post-goal celebration with blood pouring out of his face and a C on the sweater. Oh my gosh. The most excited I've gotten over a Red Wings moment this year. Easily. Um, and, and and, And even that aside. Even that goal aside, man. He really played an unbelievable game. And that's the kind of stuff we were looking for. We're not looking for wins. We know this team is still very far away from winning. We're looking for individual growth. We're looking for these games from Zadina, where he looks like noticeably better than he has the rest of the season. We're looking for these games from Larkin, where he's taking big steps forward. Big steps forward. And is actually looking like the captain of this team and like someone who we can throw out there on uh, first line C 
throw out the captain out there every night. And know that he can put the team on his shoulders when needed. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for. And there's going to be trades going forward and we're going to be bad. And, and we're, we still are bad. But those are the kind of things we have to look forward to. And, and those are the kind of things that, that we have to have. That's what rebuilding teams look for. That's what rebuilding teams try to develop. And that's awesome. Now, the last play of the game was a train wreck. That was unbelievably stupid <laughs> on so many levels. Um, one of the worst line changes. Okay, so so it was overtime. For those who didn't watch, it, it was in overtime. Three-on-three three hockey and OT. We had possession of the puck all of overtime. Literally all of OT. We had possession. Entering the zone, exiting the zone, re-entering the zone, exiting the zone, getting reset, line change, re-entering, exiting, re like, we had possession the entire first, like, minute and a half to two minutes of overtime. We miss one shot in their zone and decide this is a really good time for a line change. <laughs> it's so funny, bro. I don't even care. It's so funny. We decide this is a great time for a line change right after we just missed and the puck is already on one of Tampa Bay's players' sticks. This is a great time for a line change, everybody. Let's do it. Everybody gets off the ice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Tampa Bay, is, is Tampa Bay player literally chilling just on the blue line. Open pass right to him because no Red Wing players on the ice. Takes it, takes his sweet time into the zone. We finally get a man back there, but it's too little, too late. One time for the one time, and uh, yeah, back of the net. It, it was. It's just again, as good as we looked, still a long ways to go. Horrible coaching decision and horrible line change. Um, but as a whole, I was super impressed with how this team played. Um, they. Start off hot. Tampa Bay scores two goals in like 30 seconds to end the sec to end the first period. Rather, go into the locker room, regroup, come back, take the lead in the second period. Late in the second period, um, really just a team that is so clearly better than us, and just being able to pop them in the mouth and and stand strong and just be like, you know what, you're better than us. You're gonna beat us. But we don't have to make it easy for you. And while the last goal of the game was admittedly incredibly easy, um, the, the game as a whole was a really well-played hockey game. And I think that, again, this honestly is probably best-case scenario when you want to talk about what you want your losses to look like in a rebuilding season. Easily best-case scenario. Could not have drawn it up any better than how it turned out. So that's awesome. Super pumped, super, uh, super encouraging loss, which sounds weird for for most other cities, but in a city with four rebuilding teams, we're very used to that expression. And that's it, really. Just all around, can't really complain. Okay. All right. Lastly, the Detroit. Football Lions. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Detroit Football Lions. Uh, the talk of the town. 
The talk of the town is uh, Kenny G does not get franchise tagged. Kenny G does not get franchise tagged. The only other person that even might have gotten franchise tagged was Romeo Aquara. And he also did not get franchise tags. So no franchise tags, period, handed out by the Detroit Football Lions. So here's here's what happened, okay? I As you can go back and listen to previous episodes, I was of the belief that we were going to tag him and flip him, okay? I thought it made the most sense. I Honestly, I thought it was a no-brainer. You can go back and listen to, to three or four episodes ago when we talked about it. I thought it was for real a no-brainer. I, I didn't think there was really any reason to not. Um, and then we didn't. And I was very confused. It's like, why would, why would we do that? It didn't make sense to me. It, it really didn't. So, I go into, uh, I go into the old group chat. And we start talking about it, and the uh, the lovely gentleman over at the Back Judge Podcast, Adam Klepp, called me down. He called me down, uh, pulled me back from off the bridge, called me down a little bit, um, and and pointed out to me that when he signs, we can get a compensation pick and a pretty good one. Uh, Okwara kind of made sense to me. That's a lot of money for for a player who's really only had... And he had a good year last year, but it's one good season. Um, It made sense to me to not tag him. So uh, that one I I was fine with pretty much right away. But but the Galladay one was confusing to me. And and with the the possibility of getting even up to a third-round compensation pick for Galladay, that's about what the return would have been. Right? You're talking about half a year of a franchise tag salary. We weren't going to get some crazy first round, second round return for Kenny anyways. No matter if we traded him before the season started or at the deadline, that's either one year or half a year of a franchise tag salary wide receiver, which is pretty high. So we would have been looking at like a third, fourth round kind of return anyways. So... I'm fully okay with it. He was uh, at no point did I ever believe he was ever going to be one of the long-term plans here. He's already 27. Uh, great pick, great guy. Um, the 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 Kenny G experience the last few years has been incredible. Love him to death. Wish him nothing but the best. But there, he was never going to be a long-term plan. I mean, we're still looking at two or three years until this team's competitive again. I think we've all known that since we cleaned house and traded Stafford. Um, so I think that I, I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Again, I I wasn't at first. I had to get kind of explained to why it's okay, but for that much money, we're already pushing ourselves up against the cap anyway, trying to shed salary. Um, so adding that big of a tag and, and risking, you know, if he's had injury problems, if he doesn't play, then we're not getting a return for him. Or if he doesn't play very well with, with this current offense and golf at quarterback, maybe he doesn't play super well. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think that uh, I think that this is the right move. This is a fine move. Um, I, again, 
Thank you to the Back Judge Podcast for explaining to me why it's a good move. I would not have gotten there on my own, truly. I don't think I ever would have. Um, but after after talking to people who know who know much more about the uh, the game of football than myself, I was very uh, I'm, I'm very okay with it. And um, the the only way I think you probably hold on to him, given the pick compensation that comes with him, the only way you probably hang on to him is if you think that he's part of the long term solution. And and he's not. I, I've never thought he was. You know, you as a listener probably should not have ever thought that. If you did, I'm sorry, but um, it's just not doesn't make sense with his age. Uh, and kind of the direction we're heading, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for, for logistically, this is the right move. We're trying to set salary, shed, we're trying to shed salary. So he doesn't, uh, we're trying to shed salary. So, so we're not going to pay him. He's on the older side. We're not going to be good till he's in his thirties, probably, um, the, and if you were going to trade him, the trade return you would have gotten would have been about what you're getting compensation-wise. I don't mind it. I really don't mind it. And the Aquara one never bothered me. That's that's. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, that's that's just again had a good year. We're trying to shed salary, if I can say shed salary. Say that 10 times fast. Shed salary, said, yeah, that's impossible. Say shed salary as many times as you can. Let me know how many you get because I can do like two. So we're trying to shed salary. Um, and as, as much as I love Okwara, and, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that he comes back. I would say it's not completely out of, it's probably pretty unlikely at this point. I don't think it's too out of question for us to maybe at least throw an offer at him and be like, Hey, we're just not willing to pay you like $11 million a year or whatever. Um, so there's a lot to like about what we did. I'm okay with not tagging anyone. We're really embracing the rebuild, which I also like, uh, Again, this especially like, all fingers pointing to the Pistons. We know what it's like to be stuck in mediocrity and not pick a true direction. So at the end of the day, no matter your opinion of uh, of even if you're screaming at your phone, going, "No, you have to, you have to tag him. You have to tag him." It's stupid that they didn't tag him at a bare minimum. There's no denying that we are fully embracing this rebuild and going through it. So that at a bare minimum. That part of it is exciting. Um, yeah, besides that, we just try to keep shedding salary, baby. Just keep trying to, to, to shed that salary, which I've said now a billion times after saying that I can't say it twice in a row. So, I think that'll do it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else for the Lions. Just the Fran... Uh, I mean... Like news from around the league, like Aaron Jones doesn't get tagged. That's kind of a big deal. Um, there, there's some decent players that didn't get tagged. Free agency is looking pretty solid. Um, more solid than I think people may have originally thought this free agency class was going to look just based on yesterday's events alone. So, um, 
Yeah, I think that's it, though. That'll do it for the Detroit Football Lions, which means that'll do it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. Support continues to be great. Listenership continues to be great. It's, it's amazing. I kind of expected a, a big spike at the beginning because people are nice and, uh, you know, wanted to, to lob me a listen at the beginning and then it to kind of like slowly trickle down and as we get later and later for fewer and fewer listeners. But that just hasn't happened. That hasn't happened. The, the listenership continues to be great. And, and it's awesome. And it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. So um, shout out to the Back Judge podcast. As always, go check them out. Um, I'm sure they will have plenty. They're big on the draft. So they'll have plenty of draft, fun draft stuff coming up. Um, the Lockdown Red Wings, as always. And then I think I'm going to be a guest on a uh, a Tigers podcast later this week. Yeah, I, I should be a guest on uh, Tigers SRD, which is hosted by uh, by Raj and Chris, who are two great guys and uh, big on, on Tigers Twitter. So I'll be a guest on their podcast later in the week too, so be sure to check them out. All right. That'll do it. Peace and love. You got Hoodie Bentley today. Yes, sir. Peace and love. Going to therapy is dope. Um, That's it, baby. Go to Troy Sports. Peace.